Hey, New River Church family. This December, join us for a special Advent series on the New River Church podcast, where we're diving into the season with the message of Jesus, bringing hope, love, joy, and peace. For more info, check out newriverchurch.org. Let's celebrate the season and share the gospel together. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and uh, we've been there this month. Our theme this month is joy. We just really felt, as we've been praying, like joy is lacking in our culture, and we need joy, and we also need to understand the difference between happiness and joy. Uh, this time of year, a lot of people focus on happiness, and you'll see what, I, how the, dif- what the difference is in a moment. But that's where we're going to be here. That's where we've been this month. That's where we're going to be this morning. But to get us started, I, I was wondering, would you be willing to turn to the person next to you or behind you and just greet them this way? Wish them joy. Joy to you. I just, that, that little phrase I hear, joy to you. I want you to have joy. Joy to you. And joy to you, and joy to you, and joy to you, and joy to you, joy to you, joy. Yes, we wish that upon one another. You know, the Bible tells us that the Bible tells us that in the presence of God there's fullness of joy. Psalm 1611. And in Jesus, in John 15, in his famous uh, message on the vine and the branches, said, Abide in me, and I my words abide in you, and he linked fullness of joy with our abiding in him. And so where God is, there is joy. God is the most joyful being in the universe. He's the source of joy. And so if you're with him, you have joy. His joy rubs off on you. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Jesus says, abide in me, there's joy. We even sing the Christmas carol, joy to the world, come, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. So he comes, and what does he bring? Joy. His presence brings joy. That's how it works. This morning, you know, the primary difference between happiness and joy, and I look around and I see a lot of people focused on happiness, you know? Happiness is quick. I can, I can get happy, drink something, smoke something, eat something, buy something, drive something. I mean, that can make you happy, you know. But happiness is fleeting, isn't it? Happiness, as the old saying says, depends on what happens. If things are happening good, well, then I'm happy. But if things are happening bad, well, I can't be happy about that. Joy, however, is altogether different because the power of joy is this. I can experience joy even by anticipating the coming of joy because joy is an unshakable contentment that all is well despite my circumstances because God is with me. His presence brings joy. And we're going to see this displayed in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. But before we read the end of Luke chapter 1, 
We need to know who Zechariah was, and that gets us to the beginning of Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 is a pretty long chapter, if you haven't noticed. So the beginning of Luke chapter 1, we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I think it's important. you got to know who they are in order to really appreciate what happened to them and what they have to teach us, okay? So at Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we read, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So right away, we we learn two things about this couple. Number one, they both came from great families. Zechariah from the family of Abijah, that's pretty cool. Abijah was one of the Levite priests who came back uh, with uh, Zerubbabel after the Babylonian captivity to rebuild Jerusalem. I mean, pretty, pretty tough guy, pretty good guy. But Elizabeth, she comes from whose family? Aaron. She's a descendant of Aaron. Aaron's the the older brother of Moses. He's the first high priest of Israel. So we could say that Zechariah did what I did. He married up, didn't he? He absolutely did. So they come from great families. Not only that, these guys are great people. Do you see how the Bible describes them? Both of them. Not just one or the other, but both of them. Righteous in the sight of God. That's saying something. And not only that, they keep all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Blamelessly. Have you read the Old Testament? Do you know what it takes to keep all the Lord's decrees blamelessly? A lot of work. That's Zechariah and Elizabeth. In other words, these guys are a rock-solid couple. They are just great people. They're the kind of people that you would want to know, like really good people. But there is a hole in their heart, isn't there? Because we're told here in verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was unable to have children and they were both very old. And maybe this is you, You would say, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, like my life is 90% good. I mean, you know, for the most part, I got good days and I'm serving the Lord and I'm praying and I'm, you know, I'm going to church. I'm doing all these, I'm, you know, for the most part, right? And then there's this hole. There's this thing. And you say, Lord, if you would just answer this prayer, If you would just do this thing, Lord, then like the whole picture would be complete, right? This one thing. And and for for us nowadays to to be childless, for a couple to be childless is is it's horrible, it's painful, it's heartbreaking. But back then it was heartbreaking, plus their culture associated being childless with sin. They associated being childless as, as being under the judgment of God. So can you imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth's pain? These are, as the Bible tells us, good people, blameless in how they're following God. 
and yet everybody around them is, hmm. see, this is their life. And I wonder if you can identify with some of this. You think, you know what, yeah, I'm like that too. I, I feel that some days. I got this thing that, man, I wish that other people would stop saying about me. Or I have this thing that if God would just answer this prayer, just do this one thing, then, then the whole picture would be complete. And it's not. Well, the good news is this. If one thing Zechariah and Elizabeth um, are an example of to us is they show us that it's possible to live um, to live life victoriously with a hole in my heart. I can, I can still be faithful even when I'm not fruitful. I can still worship even when I have to wait. Even when I'm in this period of just, you know, quasi-waiting, this nimbo land there, this is them. And then day, God changes all of this. You look at verse uh, 8. Once when Zechariah's division is on duty, he's serving as the priest before God. He's chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So at this point in time in Israel's history, they estimate that there were about 18,000 priests serving in the temple. Far too many priests than they actually needed. And so they actually had a lottery system where they would you know, draw straws, and whoever straw got drawn, that was the ones who they were to serve in the temple that time. And so Zechariah, his lot is drawn and now it's his turn. He and I believe it would be five other priests would go into the temple. They would light incense before the Lord and they would pray on behalf of the people of Israel. And then they would come out of the temple and they would greet the worshipers waiting outside. They would come on the top steps of the front door of the temple and they would stand and they would, they would give the Aaronic blessing to the people assembled waiting for them. And the Aaronic blessing is the one that comes from Aaron, the, the first high priest of Israel. Numbers chapter six, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, the Lord give you peace. Is that ringing any bells for some of you there? From Numbers chapter six. And this is how that would work, see? Only God interrupted that whole plan. And I love it when God messes up our church service. Don't you? Like, Lord, please mess up our church service right now at 11.45 on Sunday morning. Mess it up, Lord. Have your way. Step in. Because that's what he does. Zechariah is lighting the incense, and the angel Gabriel steps in, and the angel Gabriel tells him that his prayers have been answered that you are, your wife, you are going to have a baby. And Zechariah, instead of believing it, instead of going, wow, praise God, my prayer's finally answered, Zechariah gets caught up in the details. He does the math. He goes, you know, I'm old, and Elizabeth, I mean, well, she's not getting any younger. She's beautiful, though, right? And let's, let's face it. I mean, there's no baby coming out of these bodies, these old shriveled up bodies. How is this going to happen? Right. 
To which Gabriel says, and I love Gabriel's words. Gabriel essentially says, um, I have come to you directly from the throne of God. And I'm giving you a word directly from the throne of God. And because you don't believe it, you are now going to be silent for the next nine months. And so right away, Zechariah cannot talk. And then Zechariah, of course, everybody outside is wondering what's going on. On the inside, they don't know, and Zechariah steps out, and Zechariah can't say anything, and all the people are thinking, wow, something's going on, and they begin to get excited. And nine months later, sure enough, Elizabeth has a baby, and it's a boy. And then the day of his circumcision comes, and I remember these are good Jewish parents. And so on the eighth day of their son, they have the brisk and the circumcision ceremony, and the people in the community gather together, and this is, what, this is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 57. I'll just start reading it here. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. See, it would make more sense to call him Zechariah Jr. or something like that. And so they made signs. Verse 62, I love this. Then they made signs to his father. Stop and think about that. Zechariah was mute. He wasn't deaf. Right? So these people are making signs to someone who could hear them. I just love the Bible, how it puts in these details. They're making signs. And you think, I wonder if I'm Zechariah. And the first, thing, the first words out of my mouth would be, I can hear you. You know, something like that. I don't know. But then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet because he was mute, see? And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. I wonder if you were silent for nine months and suddenly your mouth was released what would the first words be out of your mouth? Just asking the question. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. That's what came out of his mouth. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child gonna be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Pray because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father, Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days 
And you, my child, hmm, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So let's just look quickly at Zechariah's word here. First of all, this is called sometimes in church tradition, the Benedictus, because uh, for many years, the Latin Vulgate was the only Bible that uh, Christians had. It was in Latin. And the first word of this song in Latin is the word Benedictus. It means blessed. And so that's why it's called that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Robin um, talked about the Magnificat. Same sort of thing. The Magnificat is the first word in Latin of Mary's song in the earlier in the chapter. So just a little probably factoid that you didn't really need to know, but there it is. So this is what this is called, Benedictus. It's Zechariah's song. And I want you to try to imagine this. Can you just picture this in, in your mind? That here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They've been childless their whole lives. They've had this hole in their heart their whole lives. They've had people that have looked at them askew with a squirrely eye all these years. They've cried out to God, answer our prayer, no answer, nothing, nothing. And now, in their golden years, they are holding in their hands their child. Can you picture the joy? Can you picture it? Can you picture the, the friends around them that just are just amazed at what God's doing and, and how this is a whole, almost a whole community event, really? I mean, boy, you never, you've never heard of this before this happening for an older couple like this. And so people are there partly because it's just for the spectacle of it. I mean, it's amazing. And Zechariah is in the middle of all of this, and suddenly he bursts out in song. And there's two parts to this song. The first part is about how God has finally answered prayer, but not just answered prayer for him. It's more general the way that God has answered prayer for his people people down through the ages. And then the second half of the song is Zechariah speaking directly to his son. And he's basically prophesying over his baby boy, John, who would be John the Baptist. So let's just look at this real quick. The first half of the song is Zechariah celebrating how God has finally answered prayer. God has come and redeemed his People. And you notice a couple of times in verses 68 through 75, you notice how a couple of times there's a reference to God fulfilling his promise, God keeping his promise. You see it? He says, God has, uh, he says that in verse 70, 70, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, 
Salvation from our enemies, right? And then verse 73, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Uh, Verse 72, his holy covenant. He remembered his holy covenant. You see, so at least three times there, he's referencing how God has kept his promise to his people. And I love what God has done. Verse 68, God has redeemed his people. He didn't just come, but God came and redeemed his people. Do you know what redemption means? Redemption is this. Redemption is is extracting the worth out of something that has been deemed worthless. So, for example, you take a Coke bottle, let's say, right? It's just an empty Coke bottle. It would technically be garbage, but you redeem it for five cents or 10 cents, whatever it is. So you've taken the value out of that thing. And this is what God has done for you and me. The Bible says that all of us have gone astray like sheep. All of us have gone to our own way. All of us have gotten mired in sin. Not one of us is righteous. Not one of us, the Bible says. Every one of us has sinned and turned his back on God. All of us, me, you, all of us. Like sin is our problem as a human race. See? And this is the thing that has, that has marred us, mired us, as it were, in this mud called sin, right? We've lost our value, except God stepped in. And God said, I will redeem you. And do you know the price that he paid to redeem you? The blood of his own son, Jesus. You want to know how valuable you are? Look at the cross. That's how valuable you are. He redeemed you, friends. Redemption is available for your life and mine. I don't have to be defined by all of my sins and all of the bad things I've done. I can be defined instead by what he has done for me. Praise God. That's redemption. He's redeemed him. And I love verse 69. He raised up a horn of salvation. When you see that word horn, it means strength strong. You know, you think about it, these are an agrarian people in the Bible. So they're, they, they farm. And for a farmer, an ancient farmer, the strongest thing that they could think of would be a bull. Imagine, you know, bulls, they're pretty enormous, strong animals, and they'd be the strongest animal on the farm. And so over years in Israel's history, in ancient people, the horn became a symbol of strength and power. And so when he's saying a horn of salvation, he's saying it's a strong salvation. This is not a weak salvation. This is a strong salvation. See, when you're, when you're drowning, let's say you're, you're, you're drowning out in the middle of the ocean, what do you want? You want somebody to throw you a rubber ducky floaty, right? I mean, I guess that'll buy me some time, or I could have a battleship come by and rescue me. See, Rubber ducky floaty, salvation. Battleship, strong salvation. Wouldn't you agree? And he says that God has raised up for you and me a strong salvation. That's good news for us. That means that his ability to save, his ability to forgive is greater than my ability to mess it up. And that is good news for us. And then he goes on to talk about the covenant that he made with Abraham, Abraham lived thousands of years before Zechariah. So this is a a thousands-year-old promise that God made, and God keeps it. 
See, God always keeps his promises. If it's not in your lifetime, it's in somebody else's lifetime, but his promises. Remember the verse that we read at the beginning of our service today, that in the fullness of time, that's when God stepped in. And so God has the time in his hands. And he will fulfill, he will respond, he will answer that promise. That's what, that's what he celebrates in the first half of his song. And then Zechariah turns his attention to his baby boy. And I don't know, in, in my imagination, I just picture this as a really tender moment. I, don't you? I mean, here's, here's an old man, Zechariah, who partly has to pinch himself. He's finally holding his baby boy, right? I'm sure that there's a part of him that just doesn't believe this is even happening. And yet here it is happening. And, and he speaks to his son and he prophesies over him and he says, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And he references Isaiah. Several of these come from Isaiah, actually, some of these statements where Isaiah talked about the one who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah realized you, my son, are that one who has come to prepare the way for the Messiah to come into the world. I think Zechariah must just be just breathless, really, with that. And I find that to be such an encouragement because here's God. He makes these people wait their whole lifetime to have a baby. And then when they finally do have a baby, what does he give them? He doesn't just give them any old baby, which would be a great answer to prayer. <laughs> but he gives them John the Baptist, right? Like, wow, God. And is it possible that God might be doing the same thing in your waiting is it possible that the reason why he's making you wait is because he's working on something and it is better than you could have imagined? I like how Max Lucado says it. God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he says yes. Other times he says more than you can imagine. What if the reason why God is making you wait is because in waiting, it's the preparation for receiving what it is he has for you? Like, like God, what he has in store for you could be so great that if he gave it to you right now in the condition that you're in right now, it would ruin you. And so he makes you wait to prepare you so that you can receive it when he does bring it. Every parent knows that you don't give a five-year-old the keys to the family car. However, you also know that the day will come when you will probably hand your keys to your child. But you know that between now and then, that child has a lot of learning to do, right? And preparing to do. And God is doing the same thing in your life. He's a good father, he wouldn't give that to you now if it would ruin you, but it doesn't mean he doesn't want to give it to you. He's preparing. And in that, my friend, we can find joy. We can rest in his presence, knowing that he's got the plan in his time. And I can enjoy him right now in this. 
See, joy is, I'll define it again, an unshakable contentment that all is well because God is here. It's an unshakable contentment that all is well because God is here. Not necessarily, the circumstances aren't necessarily all well. You, you, you get me? Zechariah and Elizabeth, still not in the best of situations. They were an oppressed people living under the heavy thumb of Rome. Their taxes were still through the roof. They were still dirt poor. They still had a lot of things going against them. In fact, the Messiah had not even come yet. True? If I do my math correct, Jesus is not born for another three months. And yet here Zechariah and Elizabeth are in the middle of this and they're rejoicing at what God is doing and what God will do. And I'm saying you and I can do the same thing in our waiting. And, and there's one more cool thing I just want to show you as we bring this to a close. And that's this. You remember how, remember how I said earlier that Zechariah was supposed to finish his service in the temple that day and he was supposed to come out on the front steps and pronounce the ironic blessing over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace, that one. And that got interrupted because Gabriel interrupted the service. Do you catch any hints of that in Zechariah's words as he speaks to his baby? Verse 78, tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's not a direct quote. Not at all. But it's certainly an allusion to it. And, Eliz and, and Zechariah is seeing the connection between what's happening with his son and the coming Messiah. And that God is finally going to answer our prayers after all of these years. And he is going to send the rising sun to shine on those living in darkness and to give them peace. See, only God could orchestrate a plan like that. I mean, think about everything that has to happen. You take a good couple and you, and you make them childless. And they have to wait for decades. And just when they're too old to even have children, Zechariah gets called up by lot, by the way, remember, to serve his time in the temple. And that's when God speaks and intervenes and tells them you're going to have a baby. And then the baby that they have is the miraculous front runner to the Messiah. <laughs> wow. It just makes me wonder, what plan is God orchestrating in your life? What plan is God orchestrating in your waiting? I'm not saying that God's going to give you John the Baptist, okay? That's not at all the point. I know this, God is faithful. That's one thing we see. He was faithful to them and he's faithful to you. That God makes promises and he keeps promises. And you think about that. God doesn't owe us anything. And so it's really miraculous that God would even make promises to us. 
He doesn't need to make a promise to you and me. You and I don't deserve that. (laughs) And yet he makes promises. He binds himself to us. That's remarkable. And then he keeps them. That's amazing. So here's what I know. I can experience joy while I'm waiting for God to work his plan in my life. That joy is so powerful that just the anticipation of God doing something is enough to bring joy to my heart. And that's why it's unlike happiness, because happiness requires that my circumstances are beautiful in order for me to be happy. Joy, I can be in the middle of the worst of times, waiting, trusting, believing, having unshakable contentment that all is well, despite my circumstances, because God is here. So you see, it's this way. And Karis, you can come and worship team, you can play. Joy is a byproduct. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. In other words, it comes as a result of his presence in my life. Jesus says that we have the fullness of joy as he abides in us and we abide in him. Again, connection, presence, relationship. When I'm in relationship with him, I can have joy. So that's why I like to say this. I like to say that joy stands for Jesus over you. I know that some people say Jesus others you, and hey, that preaches too. But I, Jesus, for, the sake, for our sake today, Jesus over you. Because when he is in his proper place as Lord of my life and I'm waiting on him, I enjoy his presence and I can experience his joy. Joy is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God, whether I'm in trouble or not. And you cannot buy it, sell it, drink it, eat it, wear it, or drive it. That's all happiness. And not that, not that those are bad things. It's just that's happiness. Let's, let's understand the difference. Joy is that unshakable contentment that comes with knowing that God is a promise-keeping God and he treats me with tender mercy and he's with me. So as we close this morning, some of you are in transition and you're waiting. You're wondering, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, okay, God, what's up? I've been waiting a long time. Maybe you finished school and you haven't found a job yet. Come on, God. Got all this school debt. Get a job. Maybe you're waiting to get married. You're wondering when God's going to finally do this in your life. You're waiting maybe for that rebellious child to come home. It's another Christmas and they haven't come home again. Maybe you're waiting for God to answer some other prayer, you know. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. He made Zechariah and Elizabeth wait and you see what happened for them. God's faithful to them and he's faithful to you. I think the premier example of someone who waited and experienced joy is Jesus, of course. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You get that? The joy set before him. In other words, the cross wasn't joyful. That was excruciating. But it was the joy set before him that gave him the strength to to endure the cross. 
And your scripture says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where there is no joy, there is no strength. And so Jesus is enduring the pain of the cross for the joy set before him. And what was that joy set before him? It was being in a right relationship with you. Jesus did that for you. All the pain of the cross was eclipsed by the joy of one day being in a right relationship with you. I guess I don't know how else to end this except to say, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much it brings him joy to be restored in relationship with you? This morning, if you don't know that, then I want to invite you to come and talk to me afterwards. We can pray together because I want you to know the joy of knowing Jesus and to sense his joy in knowing you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message blesses you. For those interested in learning more about us, please visit us at newriverchurch.org. Thanks, and have a great week. Thank you.